Two weeks ago tonight, the elders mentioned the fact that they wanted me to preach a couple of lessons on the subject of church discipline. We discussed at length various ones about the importance of this, and I want you to know what kind of elders we have. Many times their work goes unnoticed, but they are the shepherds of this congregation. And many of you may think that, uh, as Brother Stanley presented the budget just a few moments ago, that that is their major concern of how the money is spent. That is a part of their work. But they have a much greater responsibility in watching for the souls that are under their care. And you have to realize that any time when you have a family of God, you're always going to have difficulties within that family. And true love requires that you do what God would have done. Brother Mike read to us just a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Tonight's lesson is going to be a study from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to let God's word speak and then we're going to try to do our best to make sure that we follow that. I wanted to begin tonight's lesson with a thought in mind. Several weeks ago I saw... What is the photo in front of you? That of a statue of an angel weeping. And I thought, as you think about that, when discipline is demanded, angels weep. We sometimes do not realize how our behavior affects heaven. We often will think within our minds that it only is me that I am affecting, that I should not worry about, others should not worry about what I do or how I act. But when you go to Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, Jesus said, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If there is joy in heaven because one repents, what is there if we will not repent? Paul gave us some insight in Ephesians 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We want to make sure that what we do makes heaven glad. What we do makes God pleased with us. Not ever that we should cause weeping and sorrow in heaven. When we sin, when we sin publicly, we embarrass God. David, what he did, what he thought was private, but it no longer remained private. And in 1 Samuel chapter, or 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 14, Nathan said, However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, you have given an opportunity for those who hate God to say bad things about his people. The young church at Corinth was forced to face the challenge of the scandal of open sin. The Lord's church here at Bobby Branch has been here for 75 years. Can you imagine a congregation having just been established just a few years before, now having young Christians dealing with a scandal? 
Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We want to look at three things. We're going to look at the situation that existed then. There was a specific problem. Number two, we want to look at the seriousness of the situation. You can't just look at it and then just wave your hand and say it doesn't matter. And number three, we want to look at the solution which inspiration provides for us. Let's begin, first of all, with verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, It is actually reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, I want to begin by pointing out that you can talk about theory all day long, but when you are faced with a real-life situation, that's different, folks. You know, people will occasionally call me on the telephone. They will occasionally come by the building and they will say, can I talk to you about a situation? And they will describe a situation. Well, let me give you a scenario. And that's, those kind of questions are fairly easy to answer. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how it applies. But you know, when you start talking about real people and real life, there's all kinds of dynamics that are involved. There's all kinds of real situations because you have family. I have family that are apostates. That is, they're away from the Lord. I have family that are involved in open sin. Does that mean I don't love them? No, I love them very deeply. But you know, sometimes when we're confronted with and faced with a real situation in our life with family, that's tough. Friends. You know, all of us have those that are much closer to us than others. People that we think a lot of. In fact, I have some friends that are a lot closer than a lot of my family. And then you have to realize what God's Word says about that. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul has instructed Timothy about the appointment of elders. And he's also instructed him about the problem with elders who would sin. And he said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice and doing nothing with partiality. I know it's hard, folks. I understand but we have to realize whatever discussion comes up here, we can't just simply say, because this is my friend, because this is my family, these are the people I'm close to. And I want you to understand, this is a real situation at Corinth. Real people in real life. But the situation was, it was an embarrassment for the church. And how do I know it was an embarrassment? Notice what he says. He said it is actually reported, and I believe most likely by the household of Chloe, because of what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that there's fornication. Now, what does that mean? 
The New King James uses the word sexually immoral. I don't think that's the best translation. I believe the word fornication captures it the best. But it is the general, broad word that describes all illicit sexual activity. It is the Greek word pornia, from which we get the English word pornography. And it includes things like adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, pedophiles. It's the general word that describes all of that. And Paul says there is fornication. So I know that this is not just a man living with, but there's actual illicit activity that's going on there. And he says that he has his father's wife. Most likely this is his stepmother. Now you can find it condemned in Leviticus 18 and verse 8. You can see an instance of it in Genesis 35 verse 22. Notice in Leviticus 18 verse 8. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Now that whole chapter goes on to deal with a number of sexual sins. And this is one that he says you should not do. In Genesis 35 verse 22, And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. That's exactly the sin that is being described here. But this was considered scandalous even among the heathen. I have a set of commentaries called the New International Greek Text Commentaries. And in the section right here, the writer of that commentary quotes a number of first century sources, Romans, who would say this is disgusting, this is illegal, this is something that we do not do. So when Paul says, which is not even named among the Gentiles, is saying, even the Romans who are as immoral as you get would not do this. So this was a real scandal, a real problem at Corinth. Now here's the next issue of this situation. The response of the church was not good. The church was not responding like God would have the church to respond. He said they had an attitude problem. What do you mean by that? In Proverbs 17 and verse 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. You see, if I take someone who is sinning and I justify that, I say, well, you know, you've got to understand this is okay. No, that's not right. Just like if I were to condemn a good man. Solomon says both of those alike are an abomination to the Lord. He said you are puffed up. The word puffed up means to be arrogant, to be proud, tried to think about the best way to present this and then Phil Robertson provided me an excellent example for that. Some of you may know that he gave an interview a few weeks ago and he made a comment comparing homosexuality to bestiality and a number of other sins and he loosely paraphrased 
what Paul had said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. When he did so, there was an immediate response. A&E Network published the fact that they were going to suspend him, and there was a tremendous backlash. You've seen that on the news and heard that in the news. Many people have this idea that how dare you condemn someone else's behavior. In the church at Corinth, there were people who were puffed up about this. How dare you question this person? I really think you have to go back to chapter 1 when you see the division that exists in that local congregation. One says, I, Paul, I, Cephas, and I, Christ. You have people who are divided up into little cliques, little groups, and there are some that are puffed up about this. And Paul said, you should have rather mourned. You should have the same attitude that there is in heaven. You should be grieved like God is grieved. Paul himself is going to have to address this when he comes to Corinth the third time. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through chapter 13 and verse 2. And Paul, when he does, says, chapter 12, verse 21, Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. You see, there were still problems that Paul had to address in the congregation there at Corinth. And he says, I'm going to have to mourn because you have not corrected this. If we as a congregation have the right attitude, it's one of sadness, one of sorrow that these kind of things have existed. This situation was open and public. It wasn't as if these things were done in a corner. Again, talking about 1 Timothy chapter 5, as Paul is instructing him about being careful who was appointed as an elder, he puts it like this. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Now pause with me for just a moment to think about that statement. Some men's sins are clearly evident. It's not as if these things are hidden. What is occurring here at Corinth is not something that is private. This is something that people can see, they can know that it's happening, and they can understand. Which leads me to the next idea. Is how serious is this? How serious was the matter? Well, listen to verse 5. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about destroying the fleshly desires. What does he mean when he says destroy the flesh? You know, I can go to passages like 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust 
of the eyes and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world passes away in its lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He's talking about people who have these worldly desires, this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. He said, you've got to get rid of that. Why? So you can save the spirit. You want them, that part of man that lives on to be able to live with God eternally. We sing the song where the soul never dies. Which means that what is at stake is one's eternal salvation. This is serious when we're talking about people's souls. James put it like this, Brethren, if any one of you among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We're not talking about saving them physically. We're talking about saving them spiritually. Jude put it very simply in Jude, verses 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. I like the idea of instead of just pulling, snatching. You know, if I had a child who was standing next to a subway... And somehow he had gotten right there on the edge and his life was in danger. I wouldn't have a hesitancy whatsoever to reach and grab that arm and to pull him back to save him. Do you realize that's the seriousness of the situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? We've got to save their souls. But you've got to think about the potential involvement I've heard people say, well, it's nobody's life but mine and nobody else should even worry about this. I want you to think who all perhaps could be involved here. The man. One has his father's wife. He's a Christian. We have a brotherly obligation to him. We don't let it pass. We've got to let him know we're concerned. The stepmother, who may or may not be a Christian, and you've got to think, her soul's at stake too. It's not just his. Her soul's at stake. But there's someone else, no one else may even think about. Perhaps his father. Who may or may not be alive and who may or may not be a Christian. You think about the hurt inflicted upon him by what has been done if he's alive. You think about the potentiality. Here's his son who is a Christian. How many times have you heard someone say, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. Could you see the potential hurt there? Think about the harm that is inflicted upon the church. You have a young congregation who are young in the faith, Many of them having been converted out of paganism, particularly in Corinth where fornication is almost acceptable, or it is acceptable. What are you saying to them? That there are no rules? There are no matters of right and wrong? When church discipline is not practiced, 
Here's what happens. Someone else comes along and says, well, it wasn't really a big deal, so I can do as I please. And there becomes the situation from Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then you have to think about the potential effect upon the community. What does the community see and understand within the Lord's church? Folks, do you understand how many people are involved? It's not just us. The pain, the, the difficulty that's inflicted. God has a solution. Sometimes God's solution is difficult. Sometimes it requires fortitude on our part. No, it requires more than that. It requires faith. Just like the children of Israel who were told to go up and to take the land of Canaan. Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up at once for we're well able to overcome. But the ten other spies said, no, we can't do it. Many people will say this won't work, but... If you have faith in God, you know it will. So here's what he says in verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say to deliver such a one to Satan. Drop down to verse 9. I wrote into in my epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet I certainly did not mean the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, idolaters, since then you would need go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunken or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now I want you to notice some of the details of what Paul just said. Number one, he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus, it is by his authority it's not as if some one of us said, well, now, why don't we do it this way? No, it's, these are directions from God. If you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, and I certainly do, then I believe these are God's directions to us with His authority, just like any of the other commands. Number two, when you are gathered together. That means this is a congregational activity. Our elders lead, they shepherd, they guide, they direct. But church discipline is a church responsibility. Not just theirs. We all bear this burden together. Not to keep company. And then he goes on to not eat with such a person. Not to keep company implies fellowship. It implies agreement. You know, if you want to try to indicate with someone that you want to have friendly relations with them, what do you do? You take them out to eat. You show to them this common courtesy. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, Note or mark that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. If you will notice that word note or mark, same one found in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. He says to mark those who are causing 
occasions of divisions and stumblings contrary to the doctrine. You see, we have a problem. We have to, we, these people have to be noted. We have to know who they are. So we can avoid giving them the right hand of fellowship. To say to them, we love you, we care for you, but we can't walk with you while you continue to persist in this sin. That doesn't mean you say, we hate you, we don't want you. No, that's not it at all. You don't count him as an enemy, but you admonish him as a brother because you do love him. Now, Paul goes on to say, anyone who is named a brother, we're talking about those who are on the inside. We're talking about Christians. He explained, he says, I'm not talking about those out in the world because if you did that, you couldn't have any associations in this world. You'd have to leave. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, But let none of you suffer as a thief, murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yes, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in this matter. We understand as Christians we shouldn't do things that causes us to suffer. He goes on to list specifics, observable sins, like fornicators, covetous, idolaters, reviler or slander, drunkard, extortioner, swindler, if you will. 1 John 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin. Notice, you see it. This is not something that you don't know is what is happening. You see it. These are the kinds of sins about which he speaks. What do you do? He says that you put this person away. Deuteronomy 13, verse 7. Deuteronomy 17, 7, verse 12. Chapter 21, verse 21. Chapter 22, verses 21 and 22 and 24. All repeat this same phrase. I'm just going to use one of them. He says, That prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to you to turn you away from the Lord your God who redeemed you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. God says, I want you to put that away. I don't want it to affect my people. You see, this action is not immediate, but neither is it indefinite. You don't turn and look at a person and say, boy, you messed up, we're going to get you. No, that's not it. You try to work with them. I want you to listen to Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. She's a pretty bad woman. And I gave her time to repent of her fornication, and she did not repent. God said, I gave her time. Sometimes people have to see the error of the way. They have to acknowledge it and understand it. She was given time. But that time ran out. God goes on to say, I'm going to cast her and her followers into a bed of affliction. 
when the soul of the sinner is in jeopardy and the reputation of the church is at stake, discipline is demanded, not recommended, not suggested, but demanded. Discipline always occurs because of the love for the soul of the sinner and the souls of the saved. I have tried my best to present what I believe the Bible teaches on this subject. And I encourage you not only to study what I presented tonight, but the other passages, because there are many others. In light of the fact that we ought to always do that which is commanded of us. If you'll take your songbooks out now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. As I mentioned two weeks ago, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would each evaluate our own lives and say, am I doing what is right? Am I living the way God would have me to live? No discipline would ever have to take place from anyone else. We would correct it ourselves. If you look at your life and you're not a Christian, you say, the best thing I can do for myself is to be obedient to the gospel and become a Christian and live that faithful life. If you're a Christian and you look and you see the sin is there, it's your time to correct it now while you have time, while you have opportunity, and while you have desire. Would you come while we stand and sing?